Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Visitors Might Be Listing podcast, your one-stop shop for all things relating to Apple TV Plus's For All Mankind, a TV show that we recap and analyze here on this podcast. So thank you for joining me. I'm Lewis Ryan, the co- I was about to say the co-host, but I am the host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Mike Levito. How's it going, Lewis? There, there's a cosmonaut outside my window right now, and I just want to make sure that everything's okay, that, that he's doing all right. See, see, see what he needs. I don't know. Did you try offering him some memorial borscht? <laughs> I, should, I should, shouldn't I? Yeah. I wonder if there's any place near us that actually serves good Russian food. I mean, I, well, certainly in like, uh, like Coney Island or Brighton Beach. I mean, that's where there's lots of lush, Russian immigrants. But there's, there's got to be places in New Jersey, I would think, that have, like, decent, like, sized Russian populations with good restaurants. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. You can find anything in New York if the price is right. That's true. And if you can't find it, you shouldn't be looking for it. Anyways, I want to apologize to our listeners for doing them such a disservice by not recommending any actual Russian restaurants, just okay. speculating on them. Mm-hmm. Um, if anyone knows of any good uh, places where you can get borscht, Maybe, um, you know, some potato vodka where we can get Petrushka dolls. Please email us at contactthepostrider.com. We would like to hear from you regarding that. Right, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take I've never really had Russian food. I think the closest I came was, I know caviar is big in Russia, and, and I've had caviar in a, uh, in a college dorm room served by a, a Russian-American. Didn't care for it. I don't like caviar, but but I but I'm willing to try some borscht and and whatever whatever else um, is a staple of the Russian diet. Caviar is good. Mm-hmm. I like it. If any listeners want to send us caviar, please do so at <laughs> contact at thepostrider.com. So, Mike, mm-hmm. we are back. We're nearing the end of the second season, but you know, as much as I wanted to, you know, take this show out back and just put it out of its misery <laughs> we've decided to extend for our listeners pleasure this um these last two episodes into a two episode extravaganza so this week we're only ap- analyzing one episode episode nine which is titled triage right that is correct and then we'll be back in hopefully a week's time in a uh, the listeners reality and We'll be discussing the last episode of the second season. We just thought it was too action-packed to try and talk about it, especially since one of Mike's favorite pastimes is to um, recap every single moment that happens on this <laughs> show. I decided let's let's be generous to Mike and the listeners' ears by giving him space to do so. So that's why we're only analyzing one episode. But I, I think it'll be good. This is an action-packed uh, wrap up to the second season so i don't think we'll have any trouble filling time of course if you disagree with us you can uh, write to us at contact at the postwriter.com <laughs> and please let us know your thoughts any thoughts yeah at all good bad as long as they're not threats we'll take them we are excited to talk about this wrap up i think so i guess we'll just get right into it we don't have a lot to talk about up front so triage is the exciting episode we've got this week not named after a song like last week triage is obviously referring to the uh medical term triage Mm -hmm. which i guess they're performing on the russian soldier that was shot last week at the end of last week's exciting uh episode where we opened fire on those dirty russians on the moon but of course it was like a uh, a mr bean episode where it turns out the russians weren't reaching for the guns at all they were reaching for translation cards that they had in big cases that <laughs> yeah. looked like cases that you would store guns in that actually had little little cards yeah very very inconvenient um carrying cases for those russians and you say uh you know they're, they're triaging these guys well there's not really a whole lot to triage like in triage the point is that like you have to prioritize who to save and who to let go well the one guy is like way beyond saving he's burnt to a crisp um but the other yeah, no no insurance card could be found. Yeah, yeah, got to go to the dental records, I guess. And then the uh, the the other cosmonaut, he is alive, but he he is unconscious. And so they've rushed him to Jamestown. They've informed Houston that they've uh, that there there was this incident, and, and they're kind of scrambling for what to do. The president now knows what's happened. 
and there there is this kind of specter. It's like, well, th- th- this could really escalate, and um, who, who knows what's going to end up happening. People that might be unaware, there was this thing in the 1980s called the Cold War, mm. right, Mike? Which was a, a conflict between the um, United States of America and the United Soviet States Republic. Union of Soviet and Socialist Republics. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise known as Usser. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, those those tensions get exacerbated, which is exciting. We get a lot of... I would say this episode is... Well, at least the beginning part is kind of focused on NASA's reaction. Like General Bradford and Margo and Ellen, they're all sort of reacting. Like what to do and whatnot. And basically... What, what I noticed is like a recurring theme in this episode, if, if you want to get into the themes sure. more so than the plot, is like how everything is like just uh communication you know it's like you're they're waiting to hear like the response from the president they're waiting to hear from the response of like what russia thinks of that and it's like reacting to the response so like that sort of level of like politics you know in democracy like how everything is just like and like the the limits of like language you know like you and i are talking right now and we both speak english of course but like we're both trying to extract meaning from like each other's thoughts reflected through words. And it's like, that's difficult to another degree when it's like Russians obviously speak Russian and then we speak American English. And it's like politics would just be like so much easier if like we could all just be in a room together and like talk. But like when it's like matters of government, it's like government employs so many people on like both sides. There's so many levels. Like the president has to like, I'm, I could only imagine if you were the president in this situation that it's like you're dealing with like NASA and then like 49 other agencies or whatnot. So NASA is only like one branch of everything. So it's just like politics just seems like a big communication kerfuffle. That's that's what I got out of like the way some of this episode was presented. Yeah, it reminds me of the Adam West Batman movie when there's like the United Nations and there's just a bunch of people yelling at each other in, in their own language. It is, and it's funny because then they have to resort to this kind of in some ways, like nonverbal communication, right? Because a, a big concern is, you know, what's going to happen to like the Apollo Soyuz mission, where they're going to link up these two capsules, and there's going to be a handshake between cosmonaut and astronaut, and it'll be this big, bright, shining beacon on a hill for mankind to show that peace is possible. And Margot wants it to go forward for perhaps somewhat selfish reasons, and um, Ellen's not so sure. But then Margot's like, "Hey, you know, look." One way to know, one way to gauge what the Soviet Union's reaction will be to everything that's happened is if they decide to launch their capsule. Because if they launch, well, then that means they're really not concerned about us retaliating or doing anything further. And that means they want to kind of trying to find a peaceful solution to what's going on. And so, yeah, and, you know, this is also kind of reflected a little bit in, like, the relationship drama that goes on. There are communication issues between Pam and Ellen. There are communication issues between Ed and Karen, and then, of course, between Molly and Wayne as well. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I was noticing also. Russia kind of has, I don't know how, we, how you would describe it, like the upper hand. They're, they're sort of in the moral right in this situation, I would say, right? Yeah, well, they, they, they're, they're certainly the rightfully aggrieved party because, um, you know, the Americans first took the mining site by force, didn't kill anybody, but then... Uh, when they found kind of Russians near the mine site, opened fire on them, even though they, they were not carrying weapons with them. So it's, you know, it's the Russians for like most of this show, um, a good chunk of it at least, are, you know, kind of like this faceless enemy and putting on, you know, uh, a face to them and giving them like actual reason to be upset. It, it helps humanize them and kind of add an extra dimension to the story, right? We get later on in the episode, not too much later, though, we have a doctor and a commander uh, from uh, Svezda, which is the, the Soviet moon base, come over like just to verify that the first cosmonaut is alive and and all of that. And then also they, they receive the body of, of the dead cosmonaut. And this is like when they unzip the body bag, which is this horrific scene because like he's burnt to a crisp, like his skin is like sticking to the inside of the bag. It's really gnarly yeah. stuff. It's like a Halloween decoration. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the Americans are, like, very sheepish and trying to be like, hey, you know, do you want us to help you transport him? And they're like, no, you're not going to touch this guy anymore. You've already done enough. And it's kind of interesting, I think, too, that once the Americans leave the room, 
the door closes and we get like a very short kind of like exchange of glances between the two like com- the, the doctor and the, the commander that that I, I think that actually like extra few seconds is pretty important because it you know the last time we kind of saw cosmonaut alone it was when yeah when, when ed when when the one that comes to ed for help at jamestown that he you know obviously kind of tortures when he launches up to go rescue ellen basically you know we, we get this kind of like very sinister shot of the cosmonaut looking back to the Jamestown base and it's reflecting in his helmet, and you know he's going to do something nefarious, right? Whereas this, you know, the intent is a little more ambiguous. They could be, you know, this could be them sort of like silently plotting their revenge, or it could just be them being like, can you believe this happened? This is horrible. The Russians, you know, are upset. Yes. And we've known them to be sort of a kind of logical, but also kind of like very... Oh, what's the word? Like, we've seen them... Like, they hold Danny. They're very... They... they well, they're kind of cold. They're cold. They're less... Fo- they're more... They can... You know, they decide that they can willingly imprison people. You know, they're less focused on, you know, quote-unquote freedom compared to the United States. More militaristic, I would say, in their approach than NASA has been shown. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they... they definitely aren't someone you'd want to make angry in um, in a situation like this um and it's interesting that the the person that they shot the cosmonaut who's still living when he he wakes up from like his coma or what have you he his first words are that he wants to defect (laughs) yes which adds a whole nother level of tension to the uh, proceedings yeah it, it is like a really pretty um like the the theme of this episode i mean you know theme as far as like Maybe just like kind of like the plan from the writers it seems both in this episode and in in the last episode it's like we're just gonna pile on as many as much stuff as we can and this is just like another kind of like thing they add to the stack right this is where you now not only have obviously the what's basically an act of war on the on the u.s's part you also now have again this is a communication issue right because the president communicates with the soviet ambassador that hey this guy wants to defect He's on American soil. We have to follow his island laws. And of course, the Soviets are like, well, why should we trust you? You know, you've already killed one of them. You basically, you almost killed the other one. Why should we trust you? How do you know you're not just like torturing and interrogating him? And it's, you know, it's, if if we were, I if, if the situation were reversed, I think it'd be reasonable for the Americans to react the same way. So yeah, the situation is basically causing a whole kerfuffle of issues on, planet earth the least of which is that like forces are being mobilized like molly calls ed into the office ed well ed first of all ed notices that molly's like wearing glasses you know Mm -hmm. like an old person yes so like ed's like i told you Mm -hmm. (laughs) i told you be wearing glasses you're gonna be walking around with a cane like an old person pretty soon (laughs) and molly's like ha ha no i'm not (laughs) yeah but uh, molly called ed in because his Pathfinder mission has been, like, moved up to, like, the day after to tomorrow. Because, like, the things with the Russians are, like, getting out of control. So, like, Ed has to, like, run home mm-hmm. and, like, tell Karen, like, Karen and Kelly that it's, like, I've got to go. They, they they draw out a lot of drama out of this very um, blatantly. Right, yeah. <laughs> when it's, like, Ed's, like, I have to go. And Kelly's, like, are you going to come back? Are you going to be okay? And Karen's just like, he can't promise you that. Yeah. Yeah, and then she's just like, you're not going to be able to promise people that either when you're in the Navy. Yeah, they're, they're sending Ed up to space much earlier than expected because they're going to use Pathfinder, which is armed, to escort the Sea Dragon launch, which I think has nuclear materials right. in it. Right, yes. Because um, the, the Russians are essentially trying to blockade the moon, or at least that's what the Americans think they're doing, because they launch another rocket they launched the baron rocket which was yeah. like the the rocket that margo is trying to warn them about that might suffer the same fate as challenger in our universe right she was helping them fix that problem in secret mm-hmm. and then margo skypes with nikolov well it's, it's sergey nikolov sergey yeah and sergey's like we were able to fix the problem. And Margo's like, yay. And it's like, we were able to arm Braun with missiles. And Margo's like, oh, no. Yeah. So there's going to be this kind of, uh, 
Well, they're, they're planning for, for like a confrontation, basically. So yeah, it, it's now become like an explicit, like DOD actually takes over the operation, right? This is no longer a NASA mission. It is now a Department of Defense mission. Yeah, the Pentagon. Yes, Pentagon is now in charge. So back to the scene with Ed and Karen and Kelly. So Karen is like, obviously like upset. Like, when we cut into her, like, before Ed is even cut in, she seems, like, kind of tense. Obviously, relating to situations that might have happened into the previous episode, which I can't remember, because I might have blocked them out of my brain. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, Ed just comes home, and then Karen just starts something, and I was just waiting for Ed to be like, Karen, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. she She's very clearly upset and kind of frantic, not in a good place. They have the argument about, you know, him leaving and, and what this means. And then they go out as, as he's about to drive away, and she's all like, she basically is just like, oh, well, I wanted to tell you something, but now I can't tell you it. And he's like, well, you have to tell me now. Which, like, yeah, like, if you're gonna, <laughs> if you have something important to tell somebody, like, and you're like, oh, well, no, I, I'm just gonna tell you it later. Like, that sucks already. But when the person's gonna be in space for months, that, like, just makes it way worse. Well, that's what happened at the end of the last season. That's true, when yeah. When Shane, Shane died, and there was the whole question of Karen being like, should we tell Ed or not? Mm-hmm. And then she said no, but then Ed found out anyway because of the Russians. And that w- that's what spiraled his descent into madness at the end of the first season. So yeah, so Karen does the opposite choice this time, because it could be kind of repetitive if the writers just did it again, mm-hmm. which she didn't tell him. Where she's like, I cheated on you, Ed. And yeah. Ed's like, you what? Mm-hmm. With who? And then Karen doesn't say with who because it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, as if it being the son of like Ed's best friend and the childhood friend of his deceased son and also their employee doesn't matter. Yeah. And so it leads to this whole argument. And, and he's like, well, you're, you're either in or you're out. Do you want to get a divorce? Like he, he literally just says, like, do you want to get a divorce? You're in or you're out. And she's like, no, I think we need counseling. It's not as complicated as that. And she's like, it's not all black and white. You know, there are shades of gray. And I feel like it also kind of becomes, I mean, the next episode is literally called The Gray, and we'll talk about that next week. But, you know, it, it, it kind of, I think is in some ways, it's, it's, it's an encapsulation of, like, Ed's whole journey of going from this very clean-cut, sort of, like, cut-and-paste, clear, these, these clear sort of, like, military man focus on the objective mission and having to deal with the complications of societal change and scientific advancement and complicated personal relationships. Yeah. And I do think that that little dialogue about like the gray is like a good piece of dialogue that like that, that scene like took a long way to get there, took a roundabout way to get there. But um, I wanted to ask you this question that you kind of have responded to already, but I was thinking about this episode earlier, you know, in the lead up to our recording right now. And this show, you know, since we started with episode one, season one, episode one, like it's it's changed a lot. There's been a dramatic change since we started. So I wanted to ask you, um, do you think the show has like evolved past Ed Baldwin? That's an interesting question. And I think in a lot of ways it has. Like, I think... He is not really the central character in this season. I mean, this season, I feel like, and a lot... It, it's very much an ensemble show, right? But I think this season especially, it seems like it's more about Tracy and Gordo for a lot of it. And it's also, like, very much like the Ellen and Margot show as well. So I, I, I think there is a point where, yeah, it kind of has evolved past him a little bit. He's no longer... And it's almost because he's too accomplished, right? It's like the whole point in the the early part of the show is that he is passed over. Well, he's not passed over for Apollo 11. It's that he is on Apollo 10. He could have landed on the moon if he really wanted to. He chose not to. And he kind of lives with this regret that's only compounded by the Soviets being the Americans to the moon. And then he has to make decisions about how he wants to proceed afterwards. He's almost like too accomplished in this season, right? Like, he is satisfied outside of his burning desire to go back, which he ends up doing. And in a way, it's just, it, there's something a little, um, it, it feels like he's just kind of piling on at some point to his accomplishments. Yeah, well, I, I, I think the show has kind of evolved past him, too. And it's, like, kind of noticeable rewatching because he's, in these last few episodes, he's not in them very much at all. And which is interesting because the season started out where it's like he is the astronaut candidate and a lot of it revolved around him 
like i'm gonna put you gordo on this mission i'm gonna sign danielle to this mission and he was like doing a lot of stuff but then it's like he passed over his job to molly to give some stuff to do and then we haven't really seen ed do a whole lot with the pathfinder people there have been like a couple scenes and so forth but it hasn't felt very crucial other than it's like literally just ed working with them there's no like underlying meaning really to a lot of those scenes there's no really like they don't really emphasize ed's personal journey and then there's there was some scenes at the beginning of like marital conflict mm-hmm. or con family drama but now like the marital conflict has resumed and a lot of it's really coming from karen and it's all kind of sprung on ed like right now in this moment and um i i think the show is kind of i don't know if abandons the right word but they've kind of left ed adrift for like the middle part of the season and they kind of have to maybe circle back but um yeah i think it's kind of the show has definitely evolved into like more of an ensemble where they can pull ed back and there's other characters you know to focus on with interesting stuff going on throughout the season yeah he is no longer the driving force behind the show he's actually now more so a character who things happen to i would say yeah um so anyways ed and karen have this fight kelly watches through the windows but um she's just unable to hear because they have they must have the same transparent aluminum windows that they use on jamestown because <laughs> she can't hear anything that's being said outside she can just see ed baldwin's comedic stylings or joel kinnaman's comedic stylings where he's like his arms are flailing about and ed takes his uh sports car (laughs) to pathfinder to launch Mm -hmm. and uh, i thought of something else when i was watching this episode about because karen says like it doesn't matter about like who she slept with and i was like thinking it it, like truly doesn't like like they could have made it any character (laughs) Right. besides danny stevens the absolute worst character <laughs> to make it outside of shane maybe <laughs> but my my thought was like why not have it be sam cleveland right well i, I will say that this matters maybe strong word but this does crop up again in the third season um not exactly too magnificent effect i would say I think, I don't know, if I if I were being generous to, to this story decision, I would say that it matters in the sense that, like, if you accept Shane's death as this huge, like, gaping hole in the Baldwin's lives and this, 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 this um, watershed event that has changed them forever and that's constantly looming over them in every decision they make, then it, and it is, it is a little maybe unseemly. But, but it does kind of make sense that she would try to seek comfort with somebody who had a connection to her son. Like I said, it doesn't make it a whole lot better because he's also the same age as her son. That's, like I said, if you want to be generous, I think that's maybe what the writers were going for. At least if I were one of the writers, that's how I'd try to justify it. But n- no thoughts on my Sam Cleveland idea? I, I Stay tuned for the third seasons is all I'll say. Oh, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if this is what the whole third season is about, I might <laughs> have to uh, eject my seat. Um, but I, I feel like our, our podcast episodes would probably be uh, be more entertaining. <laughs> okay. I mean, yeah, right now they're at, like, I don't know, negative one in terms of entertainment. So maybe. Karen and Ed fight. Ed goes off to Pathfinder. Ed's sitting in the chair to launch, and he's clearly still thinking about it because, like, the camera or the scene cuts to Karen arguing with him about it. So it's like clearly still on his mind, but he seems relatively focused on the mission and seems quite hinged as opposed to unhinged, which is good. Um, Oh, and then there's a scene before that, right? Where he's talking with Piscotti, Piscetti? Uh, Piscotti, yeah. Piscotti and Sally Ride. Mm -hmm. And it's like they have guns on the table and it's (laughs) like, we're going on a mission, see, and we can't let the Russians capture us, or, you know, they might attack. And then there's, like, a scene, which is quite kind of surreal when you think about it, because, like, Sally Ride is, like, a real person where she, like, picks up a gun, and essentially, like, she picks up the gun, like, cocks it, and it's like, lock and load. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I don't know if she had any real military training or or anything, but um, 
it's quite funny. I don't believe she it. that she did, but yeah, it it was kind of funny because she has, she's all of a sudden like like a firearms expert. But yeah, parent. But yeah, they're like you know the, the Soviets have been carrying these you know for a while, so we're just we're just kind of joining in on the fun. And it is interesting, right? Because it is like they build up, or at least Ed builds up, sort of you know piloting this first nuclear powered space shuttle as a massive accomplishment, but. He's visibly weighed down by the by his earthly um, his earthly troubles, and we, we get that shot of Karen smoking in the backyard, lying on the grass, watching the sky as as the rocket goes into space. Yeah, so Molly's Molly's got some drama going on in this episode too. Yeah, so as we all know, she's been, she's been diagnosed with glaucoma, which she has been told there is no cure for. She can only slow it; she cannot cure it. But she has found somebody in Mexico, a doctor in Mexico, who has a procedure that involves injecting people's eyes with antioxidants. And Wayne is, is, not, is not happy about this plan um, because he thinks that... Well, because it's sketchy, right? Why would you go all the way to Mexico to get your eyes stabbed with needles and just hope it all works? Um, who knows what could happen to Molly if things don't go as planned and if this guy is just like a huckster. Um, and so it, it, there's this huge argument between the two of them about, you know, yeah. who's the brave one and, and all this. Molly rails against the quote-unquote medical <laughs> establishment. And yeah. obviously she's she's just in, I don't know, denial about her condition. So that's why she wants the procedure and, you know, effort to fix it. So, But it is funny because she's like, you're part of the medical establishment, Wayne, because your father's a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, which it hit, like, I don't know why it didn't hit me, like, like the first time I watched it, but, like, now it's like, oh, this is, like, a very, like, anti-vax, like, um, parallel, I feel like. Yeah. Molly was at January 6th. <laughs> yeah. I'm at least suspicious about her whereabouts. Um, <laughs> they, they have this big argument, and um, Wayne basically threatens to leave if she decides to go to Mexico and get the procedure done. You know, they have this whole argument about how Molly doesn't want to be an old woman with dark glasses and a white cane mm -hmm. and a seeing eye dog, <laughs> you know, getting into comical mis misadventures like Mr. Magoo. Molly, you know, has the cash ready. She's going to take it this $10,000 deposit. She's going to go down to Guadalajara and she's going to get this procedure done where things are going to get stuck into her eyeballs. And then Wayne's like, all right, Molly, I'm done then. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. And then Molly leaves and we get another scene of molly at the hangar where like the doors open molly goes and she's like gonna take one last flight presumably and then she takes a moment to reconsider and then she decides against it yes and she returns home to the, to the Cobb residence and finds it's all cleaned out because because wayne is, is ready to pack up and leave yeah and uh she goes well i hope you have a thing for for old blind ladies well, you, you said it's cleaned out, but Wayne's still there. Well, yes. Um, but lots of things are in boxes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, they reconcile. Yes. Um, but what I want to know is, like, when, she has, when she's at the hangar, mm -hmm. and it's like the hangar door is open, who opened those doors? <laughs> That's a good question. They, I've... I've... It's like, is it like two guys at either end? Like the door is open and it's like, they're just like, okay, Molly, you can go out now. And it's like Molly's having this moment where she's like reconsidering her life. And it's like, Molly, Molly, the doors are open. We, we just opened the doors for you. Are you going in or going out? Come on. Time is money. Yeah, that is a, that, that is a good point. Um, I've never been in a working hangar before. I've been in like hangars that have been converted to like museums. Um, I assume there's just a guy in like a like a little like command center just like pushes a button, but um, yeah, it just seemed like you go. Also, just like, the, like and I know like this like Molly's whole thing is she's she's like a you know she's like rough and tumble and like likes the risk, but it's like like flying just like a fighter jet while you have a degenerative like vision condition. That's like very uh, that that's, she's putting people at risk. Yes, she's putting multiple people at risk, and I'm so like. It, it is a little unclear how like how exactly her vision is deteriorating but uh, a lot of this show is like people like trying not to get like written up by the flight review board yes <laughs> yeah and it's like they maybe they should <laughs> yeah and um 
I feel like if this were to happen in real life, it show would just be like a lot more of the scenes in like Sully where he's being questioned about. Uh... Hey, Sully is a great film. <laughs> oh, I like Sully. I like Sully. It's probably like my favorite recent Clint Eastwood movie. Hey, every film he makes is a treasure. It <laughs> should be appreciated, Mike. He won't be around forever. This is true. Yep. So that's what happens with Molly. Tracy and Gordo are on the moon at Jamestown. And there's a scene where Gordo tries to uh, re-court Tracy. Yes. So, like, what he does is Tracy is, like, in a room. She's, like, lured into a room. (laughs) And um, then Gordo does, like, a lip dub of a a song. Mike, do you know what song it is? Can you tell me anything about it? It is a a Righteous Brothers song. Not one of, like, their more famous songs. Yeah. but it is a Righteous Brothers song called... So the Righteous Brothers were a band <laughs> in the 60s? Uh, like, yeah, the 50s and the 60s. I mean, like, the Righteous Brothers, people are probably most familiar with them. Um, it was uh, Tom and Dick Righteous, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I Can't Make It Alone, that's the name of the song. Yeah, so he sings the song I Can't Make It Alone by the Righteous Brothers. Not Not one of their more famous songs, like I said. You know, if you know a Righteous Brothers song, it's probably Unchained Melody, which is used to memorable effect in the film Ghost. Um, you also probably know You've Lost That Loving Feeling, which is also used to memorable effect in the film Top Gun, another movie about aviation. Yeah, it's a good... Like, Everly Brothers are always very interesting to me because I do feel like they do kind of sound like five, ten years ahead of their time, right? They have these very kind of like big-sounding orchestral arrangements behind the vocals which are also kind of like more dulcet and soulful when i think of like music from like the 60s i think of it being a little kind of like higher in the register vocally right whereas the righteous brothers i feel like really introduced like you know exploring more of like a blue-eyed soul kind of thing that was a little bit ahead of its time I, it, it makes sense i guess that this is something that tracy and gordo like this is a song that they would be interested in um they're probably the right age range for it but yeah, I mean, I guess it kind of encapsulates, you know, Goro's whole thing. He, he can't make it alone. He needs, he, or at least he feels like he needs Tracy in his life. Yeah, and Tracy's, like, unimpressed, like, yes. immediately. <laughs> yeah, well, it's played up for comedy. And it's funny, because he pops out from behind a curtain, she, and her first reaction is, how long have you been behind that curtain? Which is a fair question, because how long has he been behind that curtain? <laughs> yeah, it's a much more, like, confident, swaggery Gordo than we've seen the last season and a half right it made me think of like this like just the scene like you could imagine a version of the show where it's like where it's more like a regular drama or sitcom where it's like gordo and tracy are just like two people on the base who have like a jim and pam relationship where tracy's like constantly like rebuffing him you know what i mean exactly yeah i definitely definitely had that kind of feel to it uh so it was funny and then you know then tracy's like gordo oh, would you stop being so ridiculous or mm-hmm. something? And then Gordo's like, oh, you know, Tracy, I've been in love with you since that first moment way back when, when we met, which was shown to us in a cold open mm-hmm. back in season one. And, you know, I guess Tracy falls for Gordo all over again. And it's like, <laughs> Tracy's like, she opens the door to the airlock, I guess, where they smoke. And she's like, are you coming? And Gordo's like, I think I'm about to. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a callback to season one, episode one. Yeah. Where he make, <laughs> makes a, another joke about orgasming. The, the um, writers are all patting themselves on the back, <laughs> popping the champagne corks. Like, we did it, guys. <laughs> Mission accomplished. I mean, and, this this was scene was really one pop champagne bottle away from being, like, a total metaphor. Yeah. And she, she does say, like, you know, this this is, like, an awful lot of effort to go to just get a smoke. So it was, like, it's... I think we're meant to walk away like not thinking she's given into his charms, but it is a, a uh, signal that they have kind of progressed in their their reconciliation. I mean, it's a nice scene. Like we said, it was funny. Mm-hmm. It wasn't overly dramatic when Gordo's like giving this monologue about uh, meeting Molly for the first time, and it, it was nice and sweet. Short and sweet. Yeah, was the key. It didn't go on for two scenes <laughs> where <laughs> someone's yelling. Right. In a car and seems really contrived. Right. <laughs> and then it it ends on a, you know, kind of awkward joke, but it was set up, admittedly, back 
in season one, episode one, when you can argue it was like kind of a different show. <laughs> right, yeah. And we've kind of outgrown that, but whatever. Things are coming full circle. Like the moon. <laughs> yes. Actually, it's a sphere. Um... <laughs> I can tell you took geometry. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, so so we have that. Trying to think of what else. Oh, I guess we should talk about Ellen, shouldn't we? Yeah, well, there's Ellen and Larry. But I think we can quickly talk about Danielle before that, right? Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Da- um, Danielle and that other guy. Yes. That very memorable character. Morrison, I think his name is. Might as well be. Right. So they're, they're like... Uh, getting ready to go on their mission to do like the handshake in space the handshake in space as Chekhov would say and they're like they're hoping for good news but you know considering everything that's happened they you know might pull the plug but everything seems to be on course like we said before when wait it's not wait it is Sergei Nikolov yes. and Margot talk and they said Soyuz has launched mm-hmm. and so Soyuz is launched so they're gonna go Russians are going through with it so Apollo, didn't they say like Apollo 75? It's like crazy. Oh, Apollo 75 is, I don't know, well, maybe it is. Because Molly pretends she's going to help with Apollo 75 when she's actually going to Mexico. That's what she tells Wayne. I don't know if we're meant to imply that, that this mission is Apollo 75, but it may be. But either way, uh, their Apollo is getting ready to launch to the handshake in space. And they're like sitting there, Danielle and Morrison. And Danielle gives this really eloquent monologue about how it's like you know what we're good at is killing but it's like you know on certain days we can suppress the urge to kill and then i can't remember if morrison's like is that from star trek yes he does (laughs) say that it's from one of the best episodes of the show which i mean danielle basically says it right in the episode because they established also that she is obsessed with tv facts and trivia where it's from star trek episode of taste armageddon season one episode 19 da, 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 something 67 um which is a great episode um but it was funny and it's also a nice homage to creator ronald d moore who has a long association with star trek so i just wanted to mention that scene yeah no it's a good scene it's it's I, it's really well delivered i think by uh chris marshall i believe is the name of the actress who plays danielle there's this kind of like transcendent element to it and then you know, you kind of come back down to earth when you realize it's it's quoting Star Trek, but yeah, it's it's a nice homage to the creative team. And yeah, no, I think it's good, and and it, it you know kind of speaks to obviously the optimistic nature of this mission, despite the grim, the grim setting. And it's kind of funny how Star Trek. I don't know if it gets a lot of derision, but it's like you gets a lot of uh, people commenting on how a lot of like Star Trek from like Star Trek movies. It's like they recycle things from like Moby Dick or classical literature, and they obviously import it into like this kind of cheesy sci-fi setting and now star trek itself is being quoted as like a dramatic monologue by one of the characters in this show so it's kind of funny how that works yeah all right now let's talk about everyone's favorite plot line ellen and larry and pam mike what do we got all right so uh the i mean obviously we see ellen you know helping out um figuring out what what the what not the pentagon what nasa's response is going to be to all these developments but then we see larry speaking with a fella named lee atwater who is trying to convince Larry that Ellen would make an excellent congressional candidate for the Republican Party. Now, Lee Atwater, some listeners may or may not know, was an actual guy. Uh, He was a a Republican political operative and uh, worked primarily with the Reagan and George H.W. Bush campaigns and presidencies. He is kind of infamous for basically, not inventing, but for refining the use of, like, Basically, the racist dog whistle in Republican politics, right? The so-called Southern strategy, which which tried to flip the very Democratic South into Republican hands, which he used by, you know, he gave this very infamous magazine interview at The Nation where uh, he used a lot of racial slurs basically to make the point that, like, you know, you can't come out and just say you're a racist anymore. But what you can do is say you don't like stuff like busing and you do like states' rights, and people will kind of get catch your drift about what you don't like, and then they'll vote for you. And probably the most famous example of this is like the famous Willie Horton ad from the 1988 presidential election, which was a Bush campaign ad where it was describing how Michael Dukakis, who was governor of Massachusetts and the Democratic nominee in that election for president, how he had this kind of like weekend furlough program for prisoners, and Willie Horton 
was this guy who was locked up for life for murdering somebody. He gets out on the furlough, and while he's out, he commits murder again. Um, Willie Horton was black, and they, like, used mugshot in the ad a lot, and the implication was, you know, trying to get white voters to vote against Dukakis because they thought he was too lenient on black criminals. Very, very controversial stuff from Lee Atwater, sometimes despicable stuff. But, yeah, he uh, he is trying to convince Larry that Ellen should run, and he gets this kind of, like, this other thing that, that struck me as as sort of contemporary commentary as well, where he's like, he asked Larry if if, if if he and Ellen watch wrestling, which, you know, wrestling is, you know, mentioned earlier in the season. And he's like, no, we don't. And he's like, well, you know, it's the most honest sport out there. Because even though it's fake, all it is is it's just giving audience a hero and a villain. And they want to root for the hero. And he's kind of describing this Republican political strategy that I think in some ways you could apply to certain campaigns that have gone on in recent years. Pam walks in on all of this. And the cover is like, oh, she's just a friend who's staying with the Wilsons while she's in town. She's visiting. And Larry explains what happens. And he's like, yeah, you know, Leah Water says that she's a perfect candidate for the, the, the 22nd Congressional District. Notable because that is also the district where uh, libertarian icon Ron Paul represented for a long time. And then also uh, Tom DeLay, who was for a period of time the Republican leader in the House during the George, H- George W. Bush years. But he's like, yeah, no, he says you'd be a great candidate. And Pam's like, oh, well, you know, except for me, right? And he's like, well, you know, he kind of like hedges and is kind of caught off guard. And it causes this whole thing where Pam decides that she can't stay with Ellen anymore. She writes a letter saying that, telling Ellen that she is going to back, going back with Elise, her her girlfriend, who she just kind of abandons (laughs) earlier in the season. And Ellen comes back and is very confused and distraught. Yeah, well, Pam's obviously lying, I take right. it. Yeah. To quote, paraphrase Jay Peterman from Seinfeld, Pam, you're obviously lying. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, this actually is like the one Pam storyline I actually like. I actually do. I, I enjoy it. I was crying tears of joy <laughs> when it happened. No, but actually, I, I really didn't mind Pam in this episode because it was actually it was something. So, yeah, Pam leaves. Did you... I know, I know Larry probably isn't meant to be written this way, but do you think of Larry as, like... Because, like, when he's first introduced in the show, he just seems like a, you know, a guy who works at NASA. Mm-hmm. But, like, as the show's gone on, he seems like a really ambitious kind of operator. I don't know if, like, did he, like, orchestrate this to get Pam out of the way? Because, like, the show, I don't know. I feel like there's been some shades where it's, like, he's tried to get in the way of Pam and Ellen. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe I'm putting too much imagination into it. But I don't know. What do you What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I didn't really. I didn't read it that way at all. Um, I think you're right in that. Like he views, I think Ellen and Pam's relationship as a bit of a threat because Ellen does say earlier on that like you know Pam wants to be open, which would mean that they like get a divorce and that Larry then has to be openly gay as well, and that could impact. Well, I guess it doesn't mean he has to, but you know it'd be much harder to hide, um, and which could Im- impact his career as well. He's definitely a very career-oriented person, as is Alan. And that's a theme that I think... Y- yeah, I think you're right in that it really doesn't... I mean, they get married in uh, season one to like protect themselves from the FBI investigation at NASA. At that period, it's just really kind of like portrayed as like a protection mechanism... But in this, it's, it's it's much more of a like relationship of convenience. I feel like it's portrayed as, and the third season that 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 theme is is harped on a lot more. I would say, but but I think what what does make Pam's departure like fit in with the rest of the show a bit better in this episode is that you have the Ed and Karen relationship and the Wayne and Molly relationship. You have um, the sort of the most ambitious member of that couple. Like, they have to make a decision about whether to sort of, you know, sacrifice their own careers or make some kind of compromise to make their relationships work. With Ellen and Pam, it's the reverse, where Pam, who is uh, an accomplished poet, apparently, she she decides to make the decision for Ellen by leaving her. And that causes like this whole other different kind of emotional fallout, I guess. Yeah, no, that's an interesting observation, Mike. Very astute observation. I try. That's why it's good to have you on the show. <laughs> Another thing, speaking of that, because it's like Larry has this conversation with Lee, mm-hmm. 
and uh, Ellen has like no idea about it, right? Like she doesn't know by the end of this episode, like that this these discussions are taking place, right? Yeah. So it's interesting that Larry is sort of brokering this completely on his own. Yeah. Well, it does seem like a very, you know, I don't know if it's meant to be this way, but it seems like a very old fashioned kind of like, well, I should check with the husband first to see if he's okay with this kind of thing from Lee Atwater. So now I guess we can talk about the exciting ending, right? Where we return to Jamestown base, everything seems quiet. A little bit <laughs> too, too quiet. quiet, dare I say. Where, you know, things things are just going about on base, people are talking, and then one of the guys on Jamestown notices outside of the window, much like Kelly observed something <laughs> she shouldn't have been looking at. One of the guys <laughs> through the window sees uh, a lone cosmonaut just standing out there, right? And he's like, hey, there's a guy out there. Yeah, he's like, what is he doing out there? And they just kind of look at him, and then he pulls out a very long gun. <laughs> And start shooting the window. And it's, I, I think the idea is that he's not shooting at the people inside, but he is shooting uh, at the glass so that he can puncture it and then eventually it breaks and it causes this, I don't know what the technical term is for it, but you know, there, there's a vacuum, right? Um, the, the, the base decompresses and so all the stuff is getting sucked out into the moon and people are holding on for dear life. Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting. I was, I was thinking, how did they pull out this off? Because it looks all real. Yeah, I was also wondering that, and I should have done some research, but I didn't. But yeah, no, it, it's, it's a really, really gripping scene. Unfortunately, one member of the base does not make it. They get sucked out onto the moon. Well, you got to have somebody. Right, yeah. Right? You can't just not have anyone get sucked out. We want to see that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be cheap otherwise. The commander of the base is like safe in his office. The the cosmonaut I think is still safe in like the medical bay. Everyone else. Tracy gets... and Gordo are presumably in the airlock. Yes. Everybody else manages to escape. These cosmonauts come in. Uh, they just kind of start swarming the base, also armed, searching around for it. Uh, clearly up to no good. Finally, after almost two full seasons of wanting the show to turn into Star Trek and become space action <laughs> i was looking the show uh i was i was looking up on uh, on tvtropes.org mm -hmm. a great website if you're an aspiring writer or creative um uh like the the moz the moz scale of like sci-fi hardness mm -hmm. and it's like there's a scale from like one which is like space fantasy down to like seven which is like real life mm -hmm. and like this show is like a number six where it's like it's a very realistic show but it's like it doesn't qualify as a number seven because it is fictional. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like this sure. show is like very grounded and mannered. Like it's so it's like an alternate history, but like we still have Ronald Reagan as president in the 1980s. Right. Things are very realistic. Mm -hmm. Nothing super crazy has happened. I would say like nothing exists that doesn't exist really in like our present day timeline. I mean, For, like, the, yeah. the base on the moon doesn't exist, but, like, we could put it up there if we wanted to. Yeah. It all seems like it's conceivably based in actual science. Yeah. So, uh, now, finally, after two seasons, we get this scene of, like, the Russians storming the base with machine guns through the glass. And it's finally turning into space opera, where <laughs> the Americans and the Soviets are going to have a climactic battle in Jamestown base. And it's like, yes, finally do it it's so great it is it's very exciting and also terrifying and uh, it's just you know it, it's just great cliffhanger tv right it just really makes you wanna, wanna wanna pop on the next episode and see what's gonna happen an exciting episode we're in for next week where things are coming to a head i'm very excited to talk about it because i i do think this season ends on a high point probably maybe the best episode of the show at least from the first time I watched it. I'm going to be rewatching it again in preparation for this, but um, that that's what I think. Those are my thoughts. What did you think, Mike? Uh, that this is the best episode or the next episode? No, the, the, the next episode, I think, is, is one of the best, if not the best episode. I, I think that's a fair point, and I will see if I agree with you after I watch it, but I won't be shocked if I do agree with you. That That's this week's episode. We'll be talking about the season finale next time, giving our thoughts on the second season overall. 
Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. Please get in contact with us at our, our email. If you ignored me the first three times, we are at contact <laughs> at thepostwriter.com. Please email us there. Let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you think of Ed Baldwin, what you think of Star Trek for All Mankind, the Soviet Union. If anyone has any thoughts on Lee Atwater, is he the greatest politician <laughs> of all time, like Mike says, or is he, did he cause a lot of problems that we're still dealing with today? Please let us know. You can get in contact with me. Well, don't get in contact with me, but you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at, at the Lewis Ryan. Please don't get in contact with me. <laughs> no DMs, please. <laughs> I am also on Twitter at MLevito and on Letterboxd at Ameramike. Yeah, and we'll be back with another episode rounding out our coverage of uh, For All Mankind. So please tune in and take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Postwriter is primarily self-funded by its owners, and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects, and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content, pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to thepostwriter.com donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do.